the Gritty Growing Up podcast. Because mental health conversations don't have to be uncomfortable and argumentative. Gritty Growing Up is about challenging the perceptions of childhood and recognizing that whilst it isn't what it used to be, we can still make it positive. Join us as we share conversations, knowledge and strategies to help your family connect and move forward together. welcome back to Gritty Growing Up. Now in the last couple of weeks I've been having so many conversations about sensory behaviours and within that so many parents and professionals have been asking a lot of questions about actually what is a sensory behaviour and how is this impacting what we're seeing at home or at school and it was something that came up when I was speaking at the Connective Parenting Conference a couple of weeks ago as well, that we were really having this conversation around actually, what is this role of sensory behaviour and why do we do it? Now, I want you to think that our brains are working 24 hours a day. They never switch off. They're always aware. And all day, our brains are just taking information from the world around us and processing it and using that in some way. For most of us, we don't give any thought to this. We might even take it for granted that, you know, we've got this input, this stimuli, and that we're receiving this information from the environment, and we're not really thinking about what we're doing with it. However, for some children and adults, the world around them is a literal constant stream of information. It's like having the radio on 24 hours a day on loud. And they're aware that every piece of data that they receive, they recognise it affecting their bodies, they notice it through their central nervous system, and it starts to have a profound effect on them. And it can be quite overwhelming and distressing to some of those children and adults that they're having to experience the world in such a way. And an interesting conversation I had only this morning was, is this a new thing? And actually, when you sit there and consider that 20 years ago, when we didn't have electronics, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have the world that we currently know, actually, the sensory input was just better managed. We actually, you know, on a Sunday, the shops were closed and on a Saturday, they finished early and we only had four channels on the television. So the level of sensory input that we were getting from the world around us was less. There was more quiet, there was more peace, there was more space for our bodies to process. We live in a world that runs 100 miles an hour, 24 hours a day. And for those individuals who really notice the impact of sensory input, that's really changed the way that they experience things. Now, for anyone who has sensory processing needs, they're often divided into two parts, sensory seeking or sensory avoiding. And whilst it's a content like a condition that we often associate with autism, you do not have to have a diagnosis of autism to have sensory seeking or avoiding behaviours. When we're thinking about sensory seeking children and adults, we're looking at people who need sensory input. Actually, naturally, their bodies underreact to the world around them, so their senses actually take in less. And therefore, they have a bigger need for stronger sensory experiences in order for them to be able to feel that they can function. And that means that we can actually watch children and adults who move from being hyperactive and quite charged and almost like they're running on a motor to being really lethargic and unresponsive. And it's because they are literally understimulated by the world around them. They might constantly complain about feeling numb or nothing, or if you ask them how they feel, they tell you, I don't know. And a child who's sensory seeking is actually just slower to register the sensory information. So they might actually feel very lethargic or fatigued most of the time. When a child's sensory seeking, they therefore use sensory input to be able to stimulate themselves. And that's any kind of input that we're getting from our seven senses. And they use it in order to feel alive. So when they're overwhelmed, they're stressed or anxious and they need to regulate, they'll use sensory-seeking behaviours. When they're bored, they'll use sensory-seeking behaviours. 
we often associate sensory seeking children and adults with being thrill seeking children they actually really get a buzz from things that make them feel really good so that could be strong flavors and smells and like rough textures and activities that have got higher levels of adrenaline they're using that sensory input to soothe their central nervous systems so these might be children and adults who like to jump and move and climb and you know they have a very high pain threshold they put everything in their mouth as they're walking around they have to touch every shelf every wall every item they might stand very close to people lean on people touch them get in their personal space you might find that actually they walk very heavily they make lots of noise they're constantly making sounds they're wanting to smell and taste things they might make lots of noises they might start arguments they might shout a lot they might just be naturally very very loud when you start watching these children, we might see them, you know, constantly being on the go. They might be jumping and spinning and rocking and stimming and seeking out snacks and food and drinks all the time. And when we're thinking about those children, they are looking for as much sensory input as they can. You will often find that in periods when they've been very bored, that these behaviours might ramp up. Where they've had to sit and be understimulated for long periods of time, these will start to escalate. Whereas our counterpart of that is our sensory avoiding children and adults, and they're actually people who remove themselves from sensory input. So for sensory seeking children, sensory input is like the shiny light to a mosquito. Whereas to a child who's sensory avoiding, actually they're doing everything they can to get out of the light and stay in the shadows. They'll naturally overreact to sensory input and they might become hyperactive or overwhelmed when it happens because the world is overstimulating means that they can become really overwhelmed by the world around them very, very quickly, and that makes them feel really uncomfortable. So they might struggle with textures of clothes and shoes and foods and materials and be oversensitive to sounds and smells and tastes, wanting things that are very simple, very bland, and just very um, sort of non-reactive. So our sensory avoiding children might be quite hypersensitive. They might hear things that other people can't hear. They might be really easily frightened and dislike loud noises and things moving very suddenly. You might find that things like watching things on YouTube or the TV or films that have got lots of action, lots of surround sound, actually it just becomes overwhelming to them very, very fast. They might dislike being touched or hugged or having too much fuss or interaction and disliking materials and tags and labels in clothing. They might find that actually they like they don't want to go to new places. They might avoid certain things. They want they want the quiet. They dislike background noises and sound effects. And they might dislike meeting new people and become very very tired when they go to those places. They might have a lot of complaints about being tired or their muscles hurting or their lights hurting their eyes or that their ears are hurting and literally because they're being overstimulated all the time by the world around them. And when that happens, they become completely overloaded. So a child who is sensory avoiding, you might find them having meltdowns, being difficult to console, screaming, not wanting to be touched or running away and hiding. Because in comparison to those sensory seeking children, they just want the world to slow down and to become quieter. And I think when we're thinking about supporting children, if you have got children of your own who you're trying to understand their behaviours or we're in the classroom or in a nursery and we're watching certain behaviours and we can't, can't quite put our finger on it, do take some time to just read up, to explore, to understand sensory behaviours. Because for so many young people, they don't have poor behaviour. They're not actually having... A negative behavior it's just that the world is completely overwhelming or underwhelming depending where they sit 
And we can very often find, you know, sensory avoiding children who are exemplary at school, but actually because the world is so overwhelming all the time and there's so much noise and movement and displays and things hanging from the ceiling that actually they just become overstimulated so quickly that they might snap. And you might be listening to this resonating as an adult thinking, you know, that's me too. So actually learning for us to regulate ourselves, to be able to balance our time and our energy, to know when we need more and when we need less and to structure things into our day to allow us to either decompress or to regulate is really, really important. So on that note, if you are seeing children that you think, oh, actually, they could really do some help with that, I have just released an article that talks about nine different ways that you can begin supporting those sensory behaviours at home and in your classroom. So you can find it over at dandelionetraininganddevelopment.com and I hope you enjoy the read. Until next time, stay safe, keep talking, and we'll be back soon with more Gritty Growing Up. Stay safe, keep open-minded, and we'll look forward to sharing more gritty moments with you next time. If you want to up your knowledge in the meantime, head over to dandelion training and development.com.